morning to each one of you. Welcome to our God's Word for Today devotional. And let's continue our study and devotional in the Word of God. Um, we are now in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 to 34. And this is the continuation of Paul's discourse at Mars Hill or at Aeropagos in Acts chapter 17. Let me read to you these particular verses. Verse 26 to verse 34. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or, or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Aeropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. As Paul concluded his sermon or his discourse here at Mars Hill, he acknowledged that there is a need for people to repent. That was his challenge for the people at Athens. Repent. And this is his command, God's command, for all people everywhere to repent. Let's learn that, as we have pointed out the other day, that God is a sovereign God. What do I mean by that is that God reserves the right to do anything what he likes to do because nobody controls God. He is the absolute ruler. He's the absolute power. And he can do whatever he wants. And his sovereignty determines the affairs of the world. And as a sovereign God, he does authorize who will rule in this world. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7, Paul wrote about it. And what is the geographical boundary and the rule of tenure of a nation? Also, he determines. Deuteronomy 32, 32, verse 8. Thus, according to Paul here, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. If God is sovereign, we better have to know who this God is. Paul on, moved on further that God cannot be far away because he cited here poets, Greek poets, whose writings affirmed that God gives life to people. So these Greek writers express the, the general belief of the Greeks that they believe that there is a superpower God, a being that can give life. Further, the, this writer said that we are his offspring, as quoted here by Paul. 
And since we are his offspring, it is foolish to think that God could be represented by an immobile statue or a lifeless statue designed by human imagination and made by human hands, is it not? So idolatry really is senseless if we believe the existence of a sovereign God. Thus, Paul calls the Athenians to repent because they had been believing all these beliefs that are contrary to their thought that there is a God who is in control of everything. So they need to repent. Repentance means a change of mind that affects one's action. It starts with the mind, but it does not stay there, but it will affect one's action. These people had disrespected God and the need to admit their sin of idolatry. And let's remember, my friends and brethren in the Lord, idolatry was the sin that God abhors when the Jews rebel against, against him because they went to other gods. And we know that in the Bible, God is a jealous God. And because he's a jealous God, he won't share or give his glory to another. Isaiah wrote that in Isaiah 48, verse 11. Just as God set times for individuals and nations because of his sovereignty, he set also a time for future judgment. He controls the time. If he is sovereign, he, he knows how this world will end and when will be the time that this world will end. He affirmed this by selecting the judge and identifying him by raising him from the dead. And there's no other, and he is no other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did rejected, who becomes who became the chief cornerstone among the Jews. In other words, Christ's resurrection is the pivotal event in history. It was because of Jesus rising from the dead that he gained the authority or he earned the authority that he became or he becomes the judge of this world because he overcome or he overcame death, sin, and hell. Since then, according to the Bible, Jesus has ascended into heaven and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's coming very soon. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, he is coming in order to judge the world. Regarding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul explained about his power here or after he resurrected that he gained that power to judge the world. Let me read what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 to 24. For as by a man came death, talking about Adam, by a man has come also the res resurrection of the dead. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But it's in his own, it is in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
when the Lord Jesus Christ was praying in John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was asking the Father to restore unto him the glory he once has. Why? Because when he became a man, it, it was um, a reality that he was not able to exercise all his attributes because he was built with a human flesh. Jesus remains to be God, but he was just filled with human flesh because he was the God who became man. In summary, in this discourse of Paul, Paul showed this with an argument that he took an altar to an unknown God and with it, he went, wind up, winded around to Jesus' resurrection. In other words, he directed his conversation or his discourse towards Jesus' resurrection. And it is impressive, is it not? Unfortunately, the philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics particularly, they both don't believe the resurrection of the dead so that they don't also believe in future judgment. The Stoics thought that the chief aim of man is to live in harmony with the logos, the law, that governs the universe. So once a person will die, according to the Stoics, that person will join the, the law or the cosmos, and the law in the cosmos, to which they will return. So somehow they believe on a kind of reincarnation. While the Epicureans, it's another group of philosophers, Greek philosophers, they believe that there is no afterlife. Everything ends during death. So they thought life is about finding just enough food, pleasure, and comfort to not be in want but not be in exist. For them, fulfillment comes in the moment, today, the now and today. There is no future. So when they die, they will cease to exist. We call this annihilation. That a person, when once he will die, there is no soul that will go to hell. That's the belief of the Epicureans. Thus, when they hear Paul preaching about the resurrection, they mocked him. But thankfully, a few asked for more, and even a few eventually believed and became part of the community. And two of them were mentioned here, Dionysius the Aropagite and a woman named Damaris with others with them. Let's remember that the gospel is powerful to save to those who believe. Like Paul, we must be creative in sharing the gospel. We must be um, wise so that we'll be able to communicate the gospel. And the gospel can either be received, can either be believed or, re or rejected. But let us be sure that we'll be able to share the right gospel, clear and simple as we say, because it's not about our convincing power, it's not about our persuading power, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit using His Word as the sword of the Spirit. Let's trust that God is still in the business of saving souls through the preaching of the Gospel. And if you hear the Gospel many times, I pray that God will open your heart and your mind, that eventually you will believe and be born again so that 
you have a relationship with Jesus. I hope and I pray that you will not miss this opportunity because there's no other way. There's no other salvation apart from Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning's devotional. Again, Lord, we are challenged by the words of Paul here to repent, to change our mind. We are no different than the Greeks, Lord. We sometimes follow our own imagination of who you are. We think of who you are according to our finite mind when we need to just obey and believe the revealed word of God. Father, we thank you that you've given us the opportunity to hear the gospel and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the gospel. So may it be that there will be many who can receive the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts and be saved wonderfully through the hearing of the word of God, the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.